You're listening to the Save the Marriage Podcast. Your marriage can be saved and strengthened if you have the right information. Join Dr. Lee Bauckham as he explores ways for you to improve your relationship and your life, starting right now. At some point, you might have turned to your spouse and said, man, you're getting on my nerves, and you don't know how correct you are about that. We all have a nervous system within us. We all have a brain in our heads, and we all have some very primitive parts that run in ways that we don't always understand. This is the neuroscience of relationships and the neuroscience of your marriage. It's an important topic because if you understand what's going on with your nervous system, you have a way of understanding what's happening in in the conflict areas between you and your spouse. I don't know enough about that to explain it to you, but I know someone who does. Deb Dana is an expert in the polyvagal theory that relates directly to your marriage. If you've been wondering how all of those neuronal pathways relate and how your brain and your spouse's brain are in relationship, especially in the middle of a conflict, then Deb is the person who can explain that to you. Today, your training is about how your brain, your neural pathways, your neural network, your vagal system, your polyvagal system, gets in the way of the relationship and how to get back to connection by paying attention to your neuronal processes as we go through. So join me now as Deb Dana teaches us about polyvagal theory and relationships. Deb, thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited to be talking about this. I'm really excited to be talking about this because uh, I'm such a uh, rookie in this neurobiology area, but I know that my brain has a lot to do with how I interact. uh, And so I claim no expertise, only that I can talk about what I've read. You can talk about that at, at a different level. So I'm excited to have you talk about that. Talk a little bit, tell us a little bit about your background, your training, and then let's cross over into how this matters. Sure. Sure. So I'm a licensed clinical social worker, and I have a specialty in working with complex trauma. I completed the um, traumatic stress um, certificate program at the Trauma Center in Boston. Um, I'm trained in sensory motor psychotherapy and internal family systems, um, and I've always been a bit of a neuroscience geek like you. Um, I was part of a group here. I live in Maine, so I was part of a group in Maine um, with an office um, not far up the road from University of New England that has a um, medical school and a neuroscience department. So we were fortunate to be able to partner with them in doing some um, trainings. Um, Their researchers would come and, and talk about their particular subjects to a group of clinicians and it was a lovely sort of what's happening in the lab and how might we use it in our office and they also wanted to know the opposite what was happening in the office that informed what was in the lab so um you know it was a lovely beginning and then one day i read steve Porges's first book and it was as if a missing piece had come into place for me it was like oh this is it is not just the brain, but here's this nervous system that actually informs what your brain does. So we, we were taking a step underneath the brain and before the brain. Um, and I just fell in love with polyvagal theory. And I emailed Steve and, and said, would you come to Maine and do a couple day workshop for, for my group? Because one of the things we did was bring speakers in to do workshops. And he said, I'd love to come to Maine. And he and Sue, his wife, um, came and they did a two-day workshop. Sue is the um, um, discovered the role of oxytocin in um, pair bonding. So we had oxytocin, polyvagal. It was a miraculous couple of days. And then Steve and Sue stayed around to enjoy Maine for a couple of days, and we just got to know each other. And you know, as he says, he's a he's a researcher. He's a scientist, not a clinician. And Um, I was taking his work and already back then beginning to play with how do you make this available for clinicians and um, to use with their clients. So we have kind of a friendship, an autonomic connection, (laughs) if if you feel, started then and and has been going um, ever since. So 
so yeah, it's, um, it's been a lovely, lovely journey from, you know, first learning about people and attachment and how they're organized to really understanding the, the what's underneath there, the, the brain and the body systems that, that form the platforms for our attachment styles and for the way we navigate the world is, is really based on what our neurobiology is, is, is doing. So, yeah. What I love about that story is um, the feedback loop, you know, that, that it's not just a scientist thinking mm-hmm. about what might be or a clinician kind of guessing at what's going on. Um, it's right. that right. feedback loop yeah. of talking about what's showing up in the lab and what's showing up in, on right. the couch in, in your yes. office and how that exactly. fits together. So yeah. uh, a big word, polyvagal. Uh, so mm-hmm. uh, can we talk about a little bit about the kind of the theory behind that and then move into what that means for people in relationships and couples who sure. are struggling. Yeah, sure. So polyvagal theory is, is really simply the, the, the science of connection. It's the science of um, the autonomic nervous system, which um, is the foundation for our daily living experiences. And Steve discovered um, that there are two branches of the parasympathetic and that actually parasympathetic two branches and sympathetic act in a predictable hierarchy. And that was um, groundbreaking for clinicians and, and really is groundbreaking for, for everyday people because we can begin to understand our response patterns um, in new ways. So if we just think about um, briefly the three organizing principles of polyvagal theory, which are neuroception, hierarchy, and co-regulation, um, let's just get a basic grounding and then we'll see how do these play out in, in our relationships. So neuroception is really where it all begins because neuroception is your nervous system assessing cues of safety and danger from what's going on inside your body, from what's going on in the environment around you, and importantly, what's going on between your nervous system and another nervous system. So that's that relational piece. So neuroception is working in the background all the time and below the level of conscious awareness. So, you know, for, for you and me, our neuroception, you know, five minutes ago began to check each other out, right? Through looking for, you know, your face, your, your body motion, your voice. Neuroception is seeing for me, does this feel like a safe thing to be doing, you know, to, to be engaging with this person? Um, and yours is doing the same with, with me. This is what happens in, in um, pairs all the time, any kind of pair, parent-child, colleague-colleague, um, partner-partner. Neuroception is working behind the scenes to see in this moment, does it feel safe to engage or is there a cue of danger and I need to enact a survival response? So that's neuroception. And then hierarchy. Go, we go ahead. Let me just ask. So this part, um, I mean, we're talking about very primitive mechanisms yes. in us. And yes. Yes. When you talk about that scanning and are we okay, mm-hmm. are we safe, um, we're not mm-hmm. talking about at a verbal level. I mean, you're Mm-mm. talking about mm-hmm. something much deeper that's more, and you might call yes. it a gut feeling or. Yes. Yes. Intuition, gut feeling. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what happens, I'm glad you brought that up because what happens is, um, neuroception feeds this information about, you know, cues of safety or danger up to the brain and, and the nervous system um, is, is in a state of either connection or survival. That information gets fed up to the brain and the brain, because we're humans or meaning-making creatures, the brain makes up a story to make some sign of sense of what's going on in the body. So the brain makes up a story to match the neuroception. So you can see how the, the, the nervous system starts it and then the brain comes in to, to try and create some organization around it, which is why we get these interesting stories that we carry in our lives and that get enacted in a relationship you know, because they're, they're based in this very early primitive, as you say, response system, this internal surveillance system that's acting below um, the level of conscious awareness. Yeah. yeah. And so it's not only looking, for instance, it's not categorizing you're safe, you're not, but moment by moment, is that person safe right now? So mm-hmm. Let's say, right. in, just to kind of bring this for a moment to a couple, mm-hmm. is that tone of voice meaning something? Is that whatever yes. you're seeing coming in the door, it's not just, okay, yes. that person is always safe, but 
No, no. The question really is in this place, in this moment with this person, Mm -hmm. am I getting cues of safety or danger or how many cues of safety and cues of danger am I getting? So neuroception is this micro moment to micro moment experience. So yeah, in this place, in this moment with this person. That's great. Okay. Yeah. 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 And so that, that changes moment to moment and it changes depending on, on how resilient I am in this moment as well. Right. So the resilience is how you're, if you're, in other words, if you're feeling weak or you're feeling, um, if I'm, if I'm sick, if I'm tired, if I'm overwhelmed, if I'm anything, my resilience changes and my neuroception Mm -hmm. then changes. Cause remember neuroception is looking inside my body to get a flavor of what's going on as well as the environment and between two nervous systems. So those three streams are always working inside, would, outside, between. Would it be mm. fair to say that it's more likely to react um, on the side of caution rather than on the side <laughs> of connection? Yeah, well, I mean, that gets us to the brain and the negativity bias, okay. right? That we do have a built-in negativity bias, that we're, we react more strongly, more quickly to negative things than equally intense positive things and so yeah you know that negativity bias is what's kept us alive for you know centuries decades eons right so yeah yeah and you know my my neuroception again when i when i help people understand it it's that we always have cues of safety and danger it it, it's not often that it's only cues of safety it's just that do the cues of safety outweigh the cues of danger, mm. right? And if the cues of safety outweigh the cues of danger, then I'm likely to be curious enough to want to move forward and, and see what happens next. But if the cues of danger outweigh the cues of safety, my nervous system is going to take me into fight, flight, or um, collapse, disconnect as a survival response. Okay. Good. Yeah. Thanks. Okay. I didn't want to stop mm-hmm. you from going on to the other two, but I no, just, that's great. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it. So, so let's just dip for a moment yeah. into hierarchy because this really is how neuroception then plays out. We have three states that our nervous system has access to the first being ventral vagal, which is this sense of feeling safe and connected and engaged in the world. And I can be connected both to myself and my own system and my own internal world and i can connect outside in the world to other people and that ventral vagal state of safety is where um, health growth restoration connection engagement happens and only from that state of ventral so once i move out of ventral into sympathetic that's where i'm mobilized and my fight flight responses come into play Um, and if that mobilization doesn't resolve whatever the challenge I am feeling is then I go to the last resort of the nervous system, which is dorsal vagal collapse, disconnect, a flavor of, you know, not being here, um, numbing, fuzzy. So those are the three states and they go in that order. Ventral, the, the nervous system has an inherent longing to be in connection with another nervous system. So be in that ventral state of safety and engagement. And then the next step, if I'm challenged, is sympathetic and then finally dorsal. Um, and then to get back to ventral, because this is a hierarchy, when I'm in dorsal, to get back to ventral, I have to mobilize to come back to safety and connection. So that's the brilliance of, of polyvagal theory is understanding that that is the hierarchy predictable that we all move through. And we can begin to look at um, people through that lens. So if I look at you, my, my curiosity is, are you in a ventral vagal state of curiosity and, and presence right now? And if so, then, then yes, we're going to have a wonderful conversation if you move into anxiety or or worry or overwhelming um, um, worry about that into you know mobilization or disconnect my nervous system is going to feel that and then we're both going to either dysregulate together which often happens between people right we see that in in um, in couples all the time or I'm going to stay regulated enough that I'm going to be able to help you come back into connection with me. I'm going to send enough cues of safety that you can do that, right? So that's, that's what happens all the time in, in, in relationships. So that means that it's possible for somebody to 
gain some additional skills mm-hmm. uh, and choosing to, uh, or not choosing, not cho- necessarily choosing, but working towards staying in that ventral vagal yes. place. Right. Yes. And one of the skills we use is, is understanding that the nervous system um, does not assign moral meaning or motivation to anything. So if you all of a sudden get distracted and, and, and start, you know, talking to somebody else when you and I are, are talking here, I'm going to have a, a, a response of, wait a minute, what just happened? You just left me. And then if I can stay anchored in ventral, I can say, huh, your nervous system just got, got hijacked into something else. And there's no, I don't have to make a story up about that. I can look at you through those, you know, curious eyes and just say, I wonder what just happened. Right, but if, if you're my partner and you start talking to somebody else when we were having a conversation and I don't use that curiosity, I'm going to make up a story and the story is going to be one of, wow, you don't really care about me or there you go again, you always do that, right? That's but if I can stay theory. with the nerve, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, then, and then probably it's going to go to something wrong with me. You know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not good enough for you to want to talk to or you know so that's one or it's going to go about you your your you know your um just a just a um you know really bad person who can't show up and be in relationship but we go to those those places that would be my nervous system trying to protect me from um feeling um the the pain of the disconnect but if i can stay in curiosity go huh what just happened to your nervous system where'd you go and what happened it's really not about story it's simply about get come on back and let's talk about what just happened right so you talked about going through that uh, mobilization i i I get the mobilization from ventral to Mm -hmm. fight or flight Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's going, you go to collapse and disconnect, but you also yep. have to go through mobilization on the way back, which would, would that be back mm-hmm. to fight or and flight or something else? So we, we, we like it not to be fight and flight on the way back up. Right. <laughs> sure. I, I keep going. Yeah. I keep saying up because what I did was I, I put these three states on, on an actual ladder, the ladder. and that's uh-huh. my metaphor for using it. So ventral's at the top, we, we crawl down some rungs to sympathetic and then way down at the bottom is dorsal and as so so we can see we have to walk climb the rungs through sympathetic to get back to ventral but no we don't want it to be fight or flight we want it to simply be a mobilization that i can contain so that i can then my system can come back into regulation but oftentimes what we see and what we feel in our relationships is that we begin to come out of collapse of of disconnect and we begin to come back and we get really angry Mm. right because it's that sympathetic mobilization that then i I come right back into you know some sort of blame shame criticism you know that sort of feeling which then doesn't help me get back to connection but pushes me back so we can do that loop disconnect anger disconnect anger very common for for all of us that the key is we have to get back and that's that's an interesting one because a lot of time I've watched couples who have been have been very disconnected, and when they start working mm-hmm. on things, um, they think it, one of them, whoever's working on it, thinks it's getting worse because anger suddenly is there. And before there was nothing, right. you know, it was just blank and right. the disconnection. Right. They get back to anger, and I hear, "Oh gosh, mm-hmm. you know, it's getting worse." And my response is, mm-hmm. uh, "Anger is is a connecting piece. I mean, a- anger is on the way, but you're saying right. that's part of that mobilization." Exactly. Exactly. Better served so, another wow, way. But yes, your nervous system is is beginning to mobilize, and it's going to help us get back into connection. Mm-hmm. So this is great. You know, when when you know couples begin to have that that um, emergence of anger or you know really vocalized distress, I go, yay! You know, and they look at you like, what do you mean? I said, well, your nervous system's mobilizing. It's gonna, it's it's moving its way back where you can connect with your partner because we can't be in connection when we're in survival states Mm -hmm. and, and fight flight, sympathetic fight flight and dorsal disconnect are adaptive survival states. And once I go to a survival state, I no longer care about connection because I I can't afford to care about connection, right? I'm in a survival state. I am in, in sympathetic. Um, You're, you're dangerous to me, right? Is, is the, is the neuroception, 
you're, you're a danger, you're a cue of danger. In dorsal, you don't even exist. I'm all alone and, and nobody exists in my world. It's that, that untethered place. So you can see how it's really hard. You can't be in relationship mm. with an, a person with a nervous system that is dysregulated in those ways, right? So it's my job as a partner or a parent or a therapist or, you know, I'm going to expand it and say as a human being in the world, it's my job to be able to regulate my nervous system and offer that regulating energy to the people I live with and love, right? This is, um, as you're talking, I'm sitting here thinking, and you talked about, we, we were talking, we're talking here about uh, marriages and partnerships and family, but in society, you know, we watch the yeah. same thing where people uh, go to fight or flight yes. and then they just close down. Yes, 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 yep. Yeah. yeah, and I think in our world today, um, no matter where you are on you know, any of the spectrums that we might think about, um, there are a lot of cues of danger that are coming at us. And, and we see these responses, people mobilize and get really angry and fight, or they go to um, shut down and despair and give up and, and move between those two states, neither of which is going to help us um, create a safer, um, healthier world, right? So it would be interesting yeah. to see what happened if some of us began to work on Mm -hmm. moving towards that ventral vagal response again yes. and self-regulating yeah. and, and, and yeah. Yeah. there's a third piece the, to this yeah the the third is co-regulation which is really you know what we what we know is that we come into the world with a need to co-regulate with another human being right we don't survive unless we're met by a, a, a grown-up system when we come into the world and that need to be safe with another person lasts across our lifetime so co-regulation is an integral part of being a healthy human being so and again we can't co-regulate unless we're, our neuroception says it's safe to do that and our autonomic state is at the top of the hierarchy in in ventral so you can see how these all weave together and and the, you know there are a lot of moving pieces to being in a partnership right there are a lot of moving moving pieces um, biologically you know, there are a lot of moving pieces. So it's, it's, um, it's messy as it should be. You know, the, the goal is not to be always in ventral vagal. That's, that's an unrealistic goal. And, and we're never going to do that. The goal is to know when we get pulled into sympathetic or dorsal and have some awareness of it and some skills to come back to ventral because a, a nervous system that is, that is rigid in response that moves into a survival state and gets stuck there, that person is suffering, right? right? Because they can't get back. So it's really, our goal is to create flexibility of response. That's all. So that, you know, if you and I are in a, in a um, relationship and I dysregulate that you can, you know, stay with me in that and, and help me notice it. And then I can come back to regulation and we can have a conversation about it. Right. That's what this is. That's what makes a healthy relationship so i want to get to those pieces of how we might mm -hmm. obviously the ventral vagal as you said is not somewhere i mean if i'm walking down the street you know in a dark mm -hmm. area and it's known to be a violent area mm -hmm. i probably need not to be just stuck in ventral vagal <laughs> that's that's not right what, so, there is a survival yeah. mechanism and that is built absolutely in. absolutely there for and, a reason. And Yes, there for a reason. You know, whenever somebody moves into sympathetic or dorsal, into fight, flight, or collapse, um, the curiosity is what was the cue of danger mm -hmm. that just came in that, that your nervous system thought you had to go there, right? Because we never choose. Again, this is not a choice we are making. It's the nervous system enacting a response because it has a, a, a belief that that's the best thing that's going to keep us alive in this moment. So all behaviors are in service of survival. The nervous system is only acting in what it believes is in service of our survival. Mm -hmm. If I'm walking down the street in a dark area that's known to be violent, um, my neuroception hopefully is going to bring me cues of danger, and I'm going to have enough of that sympathetic fight-flight on board so that I can take action. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so I want to get to uh, some some of the skill pieces that can help us mm -hmm. self-regulate. Mm -hmm. But before I, mm -hmm. I want to talk some about um, our 
history and how that impacts mm. these dates, um, because this is all pre-verbal. You talked about the, in this co-regulation, we're coming into the world needing mm. to connect. So how does all of this get formed and uh, maybe mm. twisted or malformed a little bit from our yeah. early uh, experiences? Yeah. So, so yeah, you said, when you just said we come into the world and the expectation is that we're met in the loving arms of, of, of a mother. Um, doesn't happen for many, many people, right? That if the person who is caring for you has a dysregulated nervous system, then your nervous system can't um, find a way to to regulate, right? We have to be in the presence of the regulated nervous system. Um, and the nervous system is an organ of relationship. So it gets shaped by our experience. And the the lovely thing that we also know and that polyvagal theory helps us have a roadmap to is that it also is reshaped by experience. So the nervous system that you have in this moment can be reshaped, right? It was shaped out of your experience up from the moment, probably from in the womb actually until this moment in time and it can be reshaped. So if there are, you know, habitual response patterns that are not serving you now that you make, might have needed in your early years, um, but are not serving you now, we can help reshape your system so that those habitual response patterns are changed. Mm. Because what, you know, what we look at, we look at our responses and, and we think, is this response at this intensity needed in this moment? Right. And oftentimes it's not. Oftentimes it's a familiar response that was needed um, at one time in my life. And so it just automatically appears now, but it's not really needed now, right? I love that. I just wrote down, is this mm -hmm. response and this intensity needed at this moment? Right, right, right. And that's sort of the question to, to be curious about, right? And again, as soon as you bring some curiosity on board, so this is one of these skills, as soon as you can, you know, have this, this certain question you ask or what my practice is, I teach notice, name, turn towards and listen. So you notice, oh, my, I, my nervous system just shifted state, name the state I'm in now. I just felt some sympathetic mobilization, turn towards it with some curiosity and just listen for a moment what happened that sympathetic just came up and you get interesting information. It's just a very quick listening in. Right. So, um, and in order to do that, I have to have a bit of ventral on board, right? Because I can't turn towards and listen with some curiosity unless my ventral vagal system is sending some energy. So even that practice is a building of ventral um, capacity, right? And that, um, for somebody who is caught up in, in kind of a repetitive pattern in the, the two mm -hmm. lower, that's a difficult thing to start with, right? I mean, I would seem that that, mm -hmm. even noticing it, they're just going, this is reality. Yeah. And right. So, so the, the first thing I do is, is I have my, my clients create their autonomic map, you know, which, you know, for, for people who, you know, want to do that, you can simply piece of paper into three sections, ventral, sympathetic, dorsal, and just begin to um, ask yourself, um, when I'm in that sense of mobilization, when I feel a bit of unease, either it's a bit of frustration, anger, or worry, um, so that I'm in beginnings of fight, flight, what's happening in my body? What, what are some of the behaviors I do? What are some of the things I think? What are some of my emotions? and you begin to understand your system. So really the first um, skill we have to build is to create this autonomic map because then with a map, the question becomes, where am I, right? And, which is an easier thing to do once I've mapped it because then it's not oh, just simply as who the question becomes, huh, where am I map right now? Knowing that my nervous system is all in these states, right? So we want to create a map and then use it as a, a linchpin for noticing. So what I like about that, that whole idea is that when you're creating the map, you're, you're already establishing <laughs> that what you're experiencing um, may not line mm -hmm. up with what's going on. You know, you're, right. you're creating right. 
the fact that there may be alternative ways of, of understanding something. Right, right, right. And again, you know, this is why ventral is so lovely and, and powerful and important. It is only from ventral that we have the capacity to um, listen to other stories. And sympathetic and endorsable, my nervous system um, creates uh, creates the experience and brain creates a story and we stick to that story, right? You know, people say, that's my story, I'm sticking to it. Well, your nervous system, when you're in sympathetic or dorsal, has these, these core beliefs and um, a, a story of connection and safety and engagement is not a story that is possible from sympathetic or dorsal because your biology is not supportive of that kind of a story. So to expect someone who's in a sympathetic fight, flight, or a dorsal disconnect to have a story of feeling safe and engaged with their partner is crazy. Their biology will not allow it, right? So again, it's, if we can look at it that way, it's not that they don't want to. It's that they're biologically unable to from that state. So as you're talking, um, it doesn't sound like it's a, a switch, you know, that you are in any one distinctively as much as which one is a growing area. You could still have elements of the ventral. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's all we need. We just need enough ventral in the system because if we backtrack for a minute, ventral vagal is sort of the overseer of your nervous system. And when ventral vagal is online in enough quantity, sympathetic runs in the background and dorsal runs in the background, right? And dorsal, one of dorsal's roles is to run your digestion. So when, when ventral is there, your digestion works pretty well. You, you see what happens when ventral is offline, digestion gets crazy, right? Sympathetic, its job is to, you know, regulate heart rate and, and blood flow and, you know, all these things that, um, when ventral is there, it does very well. But when ventral goes away and sympathetic is in charge of the system, you know what happens to heart rate and blood pressure and all of the illnesses that come from that. So yeah, we need enough ventral overseeing the system. And I like to think about it as, you know, if ventral's in the foreground, what are the flavors in the background, mm. right? And, and we're, we're great as long as the flavors in the background don't then come to the foreground, right? becomes so it, too bitter, too sour. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Right. What are the ingredients of, of this um, autonomic soup that we're in right now? Yeah. yeah. So one of the tools that I've used um, is breathing, you know, doing the belly breathing and uh, looking at, mm -hmm. I do heart rate variability kind of stuff mm -hmm. for myself too. Mm -hmm. Yep. That is a piece of um, trying to pull the ventral back online. Is that correct? Yeah. So breathing is an autonomic experience so it's automatic but it's also one of the few things that the autonomic nervous system does that we can intentionally control so breath is probably the most direct route to um, changing your nervous system state and what we know is um, the exhale if the exhale is longer than the inhale you're you're inviting more ventral vagal on board so you know, oftentimes um, we'll have clients, you know, extend the exhale, right? Because it just begins to, if, if you're, uh, um, resistance breathing is another way, which is like that sense of exhaling, like you're blowing through a straw, mm -hmm. right? Or um, if you're, if you work with kids or you just want to have, have fun with, with, um, with your partner, blow bubbles, mm -hmm. right? Because in order to blow bubbles, you have to have a long, slow, steady exhale to, to get the bubbles to go. So, you know, there are all these ways of, of playing with, with, um, with breath. Sighing is one of my favorite things to teach because we spontaneously sigh many times an hour. So it's something we're already doing. Your body is attempting to use sighing to, to reset the system. Hmm. Um, the research says that it's a resetter of both our physiology and our psychology. So it's this momentary interruption of, of what's going on. So, you know, we can um, sigh, a sigh of relief a sigh of contentment, you know, is your body attempting to, to just really bring this ventral back, even a sigh of frustration, right? Is, is your body saying, oh, I need, I need a little ventral here to, to help me manage right now. So, so yeah. Um, and we want to be careful with breath as well, because um, 
when we slow breath down a bit, um, we want to be careful that we don't then fall into shutdown, mm. right? Because um, many people breathe at, at a high rate and in a shallow breath as their system is, is using that to, um, you know, keep some traumatic uh, material away from awareness, right? So I, I often just say simply notice your breath because noticing um, uh, usually deepens and slows the breath by just saying notice. Mm. But if I you know, invite you to, let's take a nice deep inhale and a long, slow exhale, that might be too much for your nervous system, right? So we just want to be careful in the ways that we um, engage with breath. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So that's, yeah. it's a, um, it is a method, but it's a method to uh, be careful with. To Right. right. To yeah. 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 I mean, I, I invite, invite the person you're with or invite yourself. You know, if we start with ourselves, cause we always have to start with ourselves, right? I have to regulate my system before I can help anybody else to be in relationship with anyone else. So if I'm starting with myself, I might think, Oh, what do I need right now? And and if I if I'm in an anxious state, going from this anxious breathing to a deep sigh of contentment is 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 a bridge too far, so to speak, right? So maybe I'm just going to okay, let, let me just let me just slow it down just a little bit, right? And see what happens next. So it's you know the question is so what happens next and what happens next? I'm always looking to get to ventral, but if I'm in sympathetic, there are two choices, right? My system is either going to take me to ventral where I want to go, or it's going to drop me down into dorsal disconnect, right? So, so we want to be mapping that. Yeah. This is this uh, talking about that self-regulation is so important because if I can just kind of put kind of lay out where we are at this point. So two people yeah. are in relationship um, and mm -hmm. probably listening to this, maybe marriage, and um, mm -hmm. they've gotten to a place of dysregulation uh, where mm -hmm. they're in that fight or flight mode with each other. Yes. yes. And without assigning who started this or, you know, yep. where did it right. come from? Right. That's where we are. Uh, right. And so then the, the question is not so much, why doesn't this other person re-regulate or, or regulate yeah. themselves? But what do yeah. I do for self-regulation? Right. Yes. Yes. So let's talk some about the methods. We just talked about noticing your breath as one way mm -hmm. of getting a foothold. What are some other yeah. techniques that people can do uh, to begin that, that self-regulation? Yeah. So, so, so breath is, is really a, a beautiful one. I, and even before breath, I, I think I would encourage, you know, everybody to, to be able to, to really know where their nervous system is. So, oh, I'm also, because if I'm in ventral, I can connect with my partner who's dysregulated and, and bring compassion and curiosity, but I need to know where I am because if I'm in sympathetic, I need to discharge some energy safely because I have too much flooding my system. So it might mean um, I, I just need to take a take a brief um, walk, right? To to use some of that energy in a in a regulated way, and then I can come back. So oftentimes when I work with couples, the one who's sympathetically charged says, "Well, I, I need a break," and I said, "Great. Let let's say that in a way that you're." partner's nervous system can take that in hmm. because if you simply say i'm going for a walk all sorts of things can happen but if you say i'm noticing i have too much energy flooding my system i'm going to go take a walk and when i'm regulated i'm going to come back that gives enough context so that the other nervous system can usually say okay that makes sense right what the nervous system needs uh, you know if we think about it broadly is context and um, connection and choice those are sort of the three things that that keep a nervous system happy so if you know my partner says i i need to take a walk you know and really says it in that sympathetically charged way my nervous system is going to have a response to that but if my partner can say oh i just recognized sympathetically charged need a walk i'll be back very different experience from my nervous system right and then if i'm in dorsal collapse or despair or feeling hopeless about things i need to bring some energy in because i don't have enough energy to run my system so in those moments um oftentimes um you know just just a very gentle movement or thinking about 
a connection that that brings me a sense of well-being because when i don't have any energy in my system it's hard to to get it in so mm. in those ways remembering a, a moment of connection or um um sitting and looking out at nature nature is is a beautiful um uh, mediator of ventral we have found music as well you know so i encourage the people i work with to create playlists mm. so that they can when they're in dorsal they have a playlist that helps them really be with that dorsal in a way that that they can be and then helps them move up to up to ventral so you know it may be that you know if I, my partner and i are, are in a dysregulated state together you know maybe there's something we can do together maybe it's not that we have to separate maybe we have a playlist a shared playlist and we can just pop it on the um on you know get get my phone to start playing it because our phone's always there right or maybe we um you know have something we do together we we both um go into an imagined experience together. It's not always that we have to separate when we're dysregulated, right? There's some things we can do that we've preset, that we've pre-planned, that we've experimented with when we're in ventral to say, ooh, what do you think? This might work, right? What's interesting about all those things that you noted, um, what you didn't say is, so let's talk it out when we're at that point. No, yeah, no, right, yeah. Because I'm, if I'm dysregulated, and you're dysregulated, there is, our nervous system does not make it possible for us to talk it out, right? You can't do the reflection and the communication and connection until, until we're back in ventral. Yeah. Right? So you're still continuing to tell the story <laughs> that you'll tell the story right. to the other person. Exactly. With, exactly. Two different stories that are going on. Yeah, at the same yeah. time. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And so that reminds me, that is one other thing that I love to do with, with people is as I love to take a, a very small um, moment of, of misattunement or a small disagreement and ask each partner to look at first, let's come to ventral together. So we're in ventral and now look at this, this, you know, moment of misattunement through your sympathetic nervous system and what's the story. And then look at this moment through your dorsal and what's the story. And then look at this moment through your ventral and what's the story. And, and I have them simply write, it's like a, a, a sentence or two about the story from each state. And then they share the story. Fascinating how the story changes just looking through a different state. Mm -hmm. And that really helps couples understand that, oh, this is so based in our biology. It is so much about our biology and not about um, intention. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times I've, um, I've used that line Brene Brown talks about and he's saying the story I'm telling myself is yes, right, <laughs> somebody right. will tell me something and I'll say, let's start mm -hmm. with the story I'm telling myself is. Exactly. And if we add the polyvagal layer underneath it, um, what is the story that my state is mm -hmm. bringing? Right. Because state creates story. Right. So, you know, what state am I in and what's the story that's coming, that's emerging from that state, right? And, oh, if I dip into a different state, I'm going to get a different story, right? So it's, it's a fascinating way to, you know, kind of move through, yeah. So you also have talked several times about curiosity and the role that plays. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. is, would you see that as a skill to practice or is that just kind of the, a piece so, of it? Yeah, curiosity is an emergent property of ventral vagal. So unless you're in ventral, you don't you don't connect no to curiosity, curiosity. Mm -hmm. right? Right, because it curiosity is not going to serve my survival, right? So from I ventral, wonder what's behind that that rock doesn't work very well. No, right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But from ventral, it's like, huh? I wonder what's behind that rock. Mm -hmm. Kind of interesting. So curiosity is an emergent property of ventral. And for me, I think it's the easiest of those qualities to, to bring to life when I get to ventral. Um, for the couples I work with, um, compassion's lovely, but it comes down the road. Can we just get to curiosity? Mm. That's a beautiful place to begin. So I don't necessarily have to look at you and be solely compassionate about what you're going through right now, but I can be curious about it, right? And that then opens the door to us um, having a conversation and connecting because if you're in in a survival state but i'm in ventral 
I can simply be curious. I don't have an agenda. I don't need you to see things my way. I'm just curious about what's going on for you. And for you to connect to my ventral and that curiosity is probably going to help you come back into regulation. So with that, with curiosity, would it be expressed? Um, I mean, is that the piece where I'm thinking, I wonder what's going on with my partner? Or is it me saying, I wonder what's going on with you? How, why are you acting that way? So, so, so both. At first, I'm thinking, huh, I'm, I'm really curious about what's going on over there on the other side of the room, right? And then if I'm really in that place of curiosity, I can ask, right? But I have to ask in a way that, that does not further push you into a survival response. So if I said, so, so what the heck is going on for you is not going to feel like a welcoming um, question. If I said, huh, where, where are you in your nervous system right now? I'm just really curious. It felt to me like you had a moment of leaving ventral. What happened? Hmm. Or even to say, you know, what's, what's the cue of danger that came in and, and did I send a cue of danger? That's really what I'm asking is, did I send a cue of danger to your nervous system, right? Because I, I, I'd like to know that, you know, because then we could have a conversation. Maybe it was a look on my face, hmm. right? That was a cue of danger. And, and I don't even recognize that I did it. But if I say, ooh, did I send a cue of danger? And you can respond. It's that look on your face that you get every single time. And if I can stay in venture, I go, oh, yeah, okay, let me try that again. And I can offer a different experience, right? But I have to be firmly rooted in my ventral in order to take that in from you and not then fight back, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because that, that question itself can elicit uh, mm-hmm. more of the story. Oh, there you go again. Yeah, you mm-hmm. always say that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, then right. it's a race to the bottom. Right, exactly, exactly. Yes, yeah. Yeah, so again, the, the, the real, the need, the essential need for one system in the room to, to be anchored in ventral, right? Because, you know, and we both, we both dysregulate, we both come back to ventral in our own time, in our own ways. And then when we get back to ventral, can we sit down and reflect on the experience that just happened? Because what I find in, in couples and even in, in our own relationships is that we have these dysregulations and we come back to ventral and we come back into connection but we don't take the time to stop and reflect and really talk about what happened. And so um, the rupture happens, but we don't make an explicit repair. We come back into connection. So there is some sort of repair, but it's not an explicit, let's learn from this kind of repair, right? So it can tend to keep um, being recreated over and over and over. And that can feel um, disheartening Mm -hmm. to either either one of us so again it's that next step of saying oh now that we're back together and we're both feeling you know safe to be in connection let's really stay anchored in this and look at what happened right yeah so all of the story is that we can easily poke and prod somebody (laughs) into Mm -hmm. that fight flight and Mm -hmm. down into dorsal Yes. But really, it's to uh, our own. It's up to us. Uh, we can't get somebody else in the ventral. We can keep them away from it. But it's kind of our own place of regulating to that place and offering right. something to them that allows right. them to connect to it. Right. Once I'm in ventral, then I can offer that ventral to the person um, who's around me and help that system feel safely welcomed. And help that system begin to come back into regulation. And then, you know, in couples, it's both of our responsibility to to understand our nervous system and be able to have skills to both regulate and offer that to each other. Right. So it's a it's a it's a both and. You know, I need to be able to regulate mine and offer, but you need to be able to regulate yours and offer too. And I think a lot of times with couples that becomes a, a problem when one person is more invested in it than the other. Right. And again, it's what do we need to have enough cues of safety so that you would invest in this, too. Right. So everything someone is doing, we look at it as there aren't enough cues of safety yet for that person to come into this experience with me. Right. So part of that, the individual to help somebody move into that is to be able to ask the question, what are the cues of safety I can give and what are the cues of danger that I might be Mm -hmm. giving? 
right? That that I might be giving or might be in the environment or or um, yeah. So it's environmental cues are, are huge too. So we want to we want to remember that not just the relationship between us, but the environmental cues. Is it a is it an overwhelming environment? Have you you know do you work eight hours a day in an environment that is really taxing for your nervous system, and then come home and um, need an environment that feels safe and okay, and and that maybe my nervous system works in an environment where where there's there's an absence of connection, and then you come home and I'm longing for that connection. Mm-hmm. So there's a mismatch, right? And how do we talk about that as an autonomic mismatch that we can work with, and not um, not a, a a story, you know, that we make up about wanting or not wanting connection right and this also moves it away from you know this the bad person you piece it, it, right the, the that story mm-hmm. of the bad person as much as where is where's the reaction mm-hmm. between us where is the uh, the right. Right. nervous system responding and reacting through all of exactly that? yeah yeah we go back to remembering that the nervous system is not doesn't assign meaning and motivation you know we humans assign moral meaning but the nervous system is simply acting. So you're not bad, you're dysregulated, right? You know, you're not difficult, you're dysregulated, right? So that's really what we're looking at. You know, is that system dysregulated or regulated? Not, not is it good or bad? Because it's, it's simply doing what it feels in the moment it needs to do. The nervous system is simply doing what in the moment it needs to do. Yeah. We have covered a lot of space in this this time, and uh, that's only the tip of the iceberg. It uh, is. Yes. So let's, uh, you have Deb uh, a couple of websites. What what would be the best place for somebody to go and learn a little bit more about you and the work? So go to the uh, my website rhythmofregulation.com. And one of the things you can download there, um, a free download, is the Beginner's Guide to Polyvagal Theory, which is sort of a, you know written for everyday people, just here's what's happening in the nervous system. That would be a, a good place to go. I, I tend to put a, um, an autonomic meditation um, on there that's also free for download. There are a bunch of um, videos, um, conferences. We'll put this one up when we get it that, that are there that people can, can see. and. Um, that'll be a good way for people to kind of um, start. If uh, um, my map, my map is not available on the website. It's, it's, it's as a part of the book, but um, um, the map would be a good, good thing. Maybe we can figure out how to make that available. What you just talked about that beginner's guide really is, I mean, and, and it's just a click, you click it and it comes to you. It, it, and there it is. Yep. There's, yep. There's no it's right there. Jump through. Talk about some. No. Yeah. It feels safe. Yeah. Click it and there it is. So, I, I'm trying to make it that way. I, I, yes. Just click it and there it is. You can do what you want with it. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So and so and it's it's so easy to get and really good. Uh, if you want to see the latter, oh, great pictures yep. to, to help explain. Yes. Great. Deb, thank you so much for your time. Oh, this was a delight. And I hope uh, the couples who are listening um, become curious about how to be in a nervous system to nervous system relationship. A great beginning point for that curiosity. Yeah, great. Thank you. You've been listening to Save the Marriage Podcast. For more information and help, please visit us at savethemarriage.com.